Good afternoon and welcome to another edition of One Amazing Experience. And uh, I'm delighted today uh, to be joined by Bronwyn. Uh, Bronwyn is the founder of Rogue Opera. Um, at the moment, GQ, call it one of the 10 coolest things to do right now at home while we are all in lockdown. Uh, founded in 2017 uh, and uh, Bronwyn herself is a, a trained opera singer and also an event creator. Bronwyn, would you like to just give us a little bit more on, on Rogue Opera and yourself? Of course, thank you, Philip. It's great to be here speaking to you. Uh, you've summed me up very nicely there. Um, I think the buzzword for this this time is pivoting. So previously, um, what I really loved doing was creating bespoke events uh, in person, particularly site-specific and immersive events. And uh, now I've had to bring those kind of skills to thinking of how we can be site-specific on the internet behind a camera, which is a lot of fun. Uh, but you know, it's all the same skills of being a performer and an event creator still take part in that, if, even if we're slightly limited in our perspective. Excellent. And we'll learn more about your pivot as we go through this and, and origins, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, as normal, in terms of going through one amazing experience, uh, we'll be going through where you'll be having a party. You can obviously tell us what your party is going to be if it's for a special occasion, or it doesn't have to be. Uh, at the moment, there seems to be a, a, a coming out of lockdown party, seems to be the vibe. <laughs> um, uh, your venue of choice, look and feel of the event, music, obviously key to you. Drinks you'll be serving your guests, uh, your meal of choice, um, an entertainment of choice, which would be interesting from yourself, mm -hmm. uh, a celebrity that you'd like to have at your party, your first dance track, uh, and how you will leave your event, big departure, and one gift to all your guests. And that gift can be something physical, or some people have just done a, a nice gesture, a clever word, a thought for the day, whatever it might be. Um, so uh, to start us off, uh, Bronwyn, what's your event going to be, and where are you going to have it? Uh, yes, I guess it's a celebration of summer, um, end of lockdown, hopefully, but let's just call it a celebration of summer. And uh, it's going to be in the fantastic walled garden at Wormsley Estate, which is in Hertfordshire here in the UK, uh, which is a beautiful venue. Um, as you can guess from the name, it's a sort of secret walled garden, um, has a wonderful green theatre, it's got a summer house, it's just full of amazing flowers and, and, and uh, you know, blossoms and trees and everything. So yeah, that's my ideal venue for a summer summer party. Excellent. And uh, does, the, does, it, does the venue hold um, uh, a place in your heart? Is it something that you've, you've had events there before or just you thought, wow, I've been there, beautiful, I want to be there? Uh, it does It does hold a bit of a, a space in my heart. Um, I saw the walled garden um, on a tour where I went to meet the events team, the fantastic events team at Wormsley Estate. Um, and it was actually the site of one of the um, one of my big successes uh, with Rogue Opera back in 2019 now, I was going to say last year, but of course it's not last year, and that was putting on um, a two-day conference there at Wormsley Estate. We didn't use the walled garden because it was in October, but, um, you know, the whole estate's fantastic, and, and that event was a, one of my really great corporate events that I did. Wonderful, wonderful. And uh, how many guests are you having at your party? Oh, I think 150 at least. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the kind of person that just keeps inviting people. I'll start with a guest list. And then as I see more people, I'm like, oh, I'm having a party. You must come. Yeah. Um, and uh, going back to the start for yourself in terms of, of, of career, um, I know that you, uh, you well, you've, uh, you, you run busy restaurants. You've uh, taught English in Japan. Mm -hmm. yeah, you have a CIM diploma in marketing and as well as a diploma in op opera and performing arts. That's uh, right. <laughs> yeah. But um, you, you, you decided at a very early stage in your life you wanted to be an opera singer. 
I did. So I think I was about five years old when I sort of declared to my family and anyone who would listen that that's absolutely one what I wanted to do was to be an opera singer. Um, I grew up in a household that we only listened to classical music. So I was really exposed to classical music and an opera in particular you know, from, I guess, from when I was born. Uh, so it was a very natural thing for me. And I have a distinct memory of being in our back lounge room in Adelaide in Australia and singing along at five years old to the Queen of the Night aria, um, which is a very high soprano aria for any of the singers of, singers out there. Um, as a child, I could kind of squeak out the top notes. Definitely can't do it now as a mezzo-soprano, but, uh, you know, it's a, a wonderful opera by Mozart from the, called The Magic Flute. Uh, and I, as I said, I was just surrounded by, by opera and, and that kind of thing. So yeah, I, I very early on decided that's what I was going to be. Uh, but obviously from the list of, of sort of um, skills and professions and qualifications that you just read out, I sort of had a roundabout route actually to eventually becoming an opera singer. So I didn't do that immediately. Um, I had a very child, a very music filled childhood, but then went off into sort of um, working in the hospitality industry straight after school rather than going into music straight away. Excellent. Well, your parents are musical. Um, not, uh, no, they, my parents themselves didn't, but the rest of my mum's family in particular are very musical. So two of my uncles are professional musicians. Uh, my grandmother and my aunt both sang a lot, not professionally, but, but very well. So yeah, it was in the family, uh, I guess, but um, my, my parents themselves had a, a great love of music, which they instilled in me uh, from a very early age. And uh, they're both actually language teachers. So they also instilled a love of, of language and sort of learning different, I guess, different cultures and, and definitely different languages. Excellent. And that led you, I guess, to, to teaching English in Japan. Yes, my uncle, um, who's one of my two uncles who are musicians, he lives in Japan. So I have a cat right in front of me. It's a little distracting. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I can see the tail. Yes, you can see the tail. Uh, so um, one of the reasons for going to Japan was that, that I knew somebody there, but also that it was, you know, a very different environment from the one I'd grown up in in Australia, in Adelaide. And uh, it was very interesting to me to, to be able to travel and to, to go and immerse myself in a, a different culture. Uh, and even though I'd studied a lot of languages at school, Japanese was not one of the languages I studied. So it was very much sort of immersing myself uh, at the beginning and, and just trying to sort of learn something very new um, from the bat, which was which was great. No, I'm sure. I'm sure a great a great experience to have, and I'm sure your your travels have influenced you uh, in, in in everything you do, and I'm sure they will with your party. Uh, your look and feel. Will you be going for a, just a, a classic English garden, or are you having a twist to it? Oh, um, I think a, a sort of mythical twist to it, you know, um, definitely growing up, I, I loved uh, the sort of uh, English books, actually, you know, The Enchanted Faraway Tree by Enid Blyton, um, Secret Garden, you know, those kind of things. And then going into the more mythical environments of, I guess, Lord of the Rings and all that kind of thing. So I'd, I'd like an English summer, summer party, but with, you know, a few Midsummer Night's Dreams slash Lord of the Rings slash Fawns and um, Narnia, you know, all those kind of things were very much part of my childhood. So uh, that sort of fantastical English summer garden is a very um, attractive kind of party theme for me. Wonderful. Wonderful. Um, and uh, so, as you say, you obviously you've been through Japan. And then when did you drive? When did you arrive in the UK? Mm -hmm. 
Uh, so I arrived in, uh, so Japan, I was there for three years and then I went back to Australia for quite a short time. I went back to Adelaide for about six months and then realised I couldn't go from living in Tokyo to living in Adelaide, which is a city of about <laughs> a million people, <laughs> lovely as it is. Uh, so I very quickly decided that I wanted to, to start travelling again and my brother and I set off and we, we first of all went to Thailand, which is a very common first stop for many Australians setting off for Europe. Um, we both got uh, waylaid in Thailand for as long as we could stay there with our visas, which I think was about three months and had a wonderful time there, um, learning some Muay Thai kickboxing and eating lots of amazing seafood and all that kind of thing. Uh, and then landed on the shores of uh, England, uh, Heathrow Airport, if you can call that a shore, um, in December 2001. So quite a while ago now. And uh, yeah, it was yeah. it was really great. It was it was a kind of coming home, I guess. You know, a lot of Australians um, have a natural affinity, I guess, for the UK. Um, that you know, we obviously have strong connections, and I think particularly because I'd lived in a big city like Tokyo, and it had been such a different experience. It had been such an amazingly different culture, but one where having come from a small town and then going to a big city, not only did I have that. Um, you know, disconnect, but because the language is so different and because the written language in Japanese is not something you can just read. You can't just walk down the street and read the sign and go, well, I'll look that up in a dictionary because all the characters are different. Um, whereas coming to London, I was back in that big city environment, but of course everything was, was very familiar um, from, I guess, all the stories and, and films and things I'd watched as a child. Uh, so yeah, so I landed in London and uh, managed to get myself a job in a company where they um, very quickly transferred my, my skills as a secretary into their marketing department. And that's where I started to study for my Chartered Institute of Marketing diploma uh, and and got involved in organising sort of corporate events, which was, you know, great fun. But all the way through, uh, I sort of had a burning desire to return to, to music, which I had done a lot as a child, but hadn't really for my time in Japan. And so once I came back to London or came to London, then I was able to start uh, singing in a choir again uh, and exploring singing a bit more. And the thing that really got me back into opera in particular is uh, I auditioned and successfully got a license to busk on the London Underground. Uh, some people are surprised that you need a license, but uh, you certainly did back <laughs> then. <laughs> and okay. uh, yeah, and that was uh, the audition itself actually was really interesting. So it was in a, a hidden platform in Waterloo. So they took you through sort of one of those access doors and all of a sudden there's another platform where there used to be train stopping. So you were auditioning as if you were busking um, in this, this deserted platform. And uh, yeah, and that's what, what got me back into sort of performing opera uh, in particular while I was still working full time in my marketing job that I would come out on a weekend and, and sing some opera and start to get some attention and get some private bookings and uh, but mainly just get that love of performing back which I you know hadn't had for, for a number of years before that. Yeah. Did you did you uh, always perform at the same station or different? I had a few a few favourites, so um, you very quickly learn that you need to find the acoustic sweet spot, especially when you're singing unaccompanied uh, or unamplified, as, a, as it is with a, an operatic voice. So Green Park was a good station. Uh, St Paul's was also quite good. And um, I'm trying to remember now, it's been quite a few years since I graced the, the, the tunnels of London. <laughs> um, yeah, those are probably the two the two main ones. So you had a, a nice long approach of tunnels, so people had a lot of time to hear you as they were walking up, um, and the sort of competing noise from the tannoy and trains, etc., was not too loud in those those two spots. 
Yeah. Did you have any sort of wow moments when you're doing it? You know, suddenly found you had 50 people who were standing watching you or? Um, I did yet tend to gather a crowd and that was very specifically um, what you're not supposed to do. It's one of your conditions of license (laughs) (laughs) unless you were not supposed to gather a crowd. Um, So, uh, yeah, it it was, you know, always a You're not doing it anymore, Bronwyn, so it's okay. So, yeah, I can can reveal. So, actually, there was a time at um, Tottenham Court Road where I think there were people kind of backed up in both approaches to the tunnels and, um, you know, that was a great thrill and it was one of the things that gave me, I guess, the impetus to think, you know, maybe I should do this more than just on a Saturday morning um, and the few private bookings I was getting because that thrill as a performer um, or as an event organiser where, you know, you get a crowd responding to to your performance is, is just unbeatable, really. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I'm sure. I'm sure. I can't say that I've had that in terms of <laughs> my singing voice is, is limited, shall we say. <laughs> I sang at my wedding. Oh, wow. Probably, yeah, I... I um, I, I, I maybe had a couple of drinks one night mm-hmm. six months before and said, yeah, I'll sing. So I sang Mac the Knife nice. at my wedding. And yeah, was your, back, your bride surprised? No, I, I, she was the one I drunkenly said I would do it for. So uh, she wasn't too surprised. Mm-hmm. Um, unfortunately, it was videoed. So mm-hmm. there is videos. However good you think you sound when it's played back, maybe you don't. <laughs> uh, well, you're in good company. My husband surprised me by singing at our wedding, and he's not a singer oh, okay. either. So, uh, yeah, he um, that is also video evidence. He sang a, um, a song by an Australian band called the Warren Brothers uh, called A Better Man. And, you know, wasn't a dry eye in the house. So he definitely worked the crowd. Yeah. <laughs> and, you, and you restrained not to make him feel bad. Yes, uh, people would always ask me, are you going to sing at your own wedding? And I thought, well, no, I'm not going to. You know, it's the, the time you want to just, uh, you, you know, I don't want to be a performer then. Um, so, but actually what he was slightly upstaged because my family, as I mentioned, are quite musical. So not unbeknownst to us, to me and him, they'd organised a musical tribute um, before his speech. So they did this amazing, uh, there's five of them, my mum's brothers and sisters and, you know, two of them, the professional singers and the rest of them. So they did this amazing medley of, of songs and, you you know, that was what my husband had to follow. So, but he did a great job. He did a really great oh, job. Excellent. And maybe this medley will be performing at this party. Who knows? Quite we possibly. shall find out. Mm. <laughs> um, uh, so, uh, yes, leading on to that. So arrival music at your event. Mm. What will guests, obviously, you know, you need to set the stage. What, what music is going to be playing as your guests arrive? Yeah, I think because it is this kind of enchanted secret garden, um, I'm imagining it's, it's you know, mid-afternoon, late afternoon, we're coming into that long, glorious English uh, summer evening. So I'm going to stick with my type, which is classical music, and I think I'll have a string quartet playing some beautiful Vivaldi, Four Seasons, some Handel's water music. Um, But also I love it when string quartets throw in some classical, you know, ornamentations, arrangements of things like the Chemical Brothers and Daft Punk and, you know, people are like, oh, I know that tune, what is it? But, you know, it's, it's in a classical string quartet arrangement. So uh, I think that would suit the, the vibe of the evening very well. Great stuff. And uh, what drinks will you be serving your guests as they arrive? Oh, can I have more than one? <laughs> You can indeed. <laughs> Fantastic. You can't you can, you can just say an open bar, but, you know, sometimes people have particular ones. That they yes, do. yeah. Um, I mean, I think, again, with that sort of vibe of the garden theme, I'd like to offer people bubbles. Um, mm. If we were in Australia, I would be offering them Chandon, which is the Australian brand version of Moet and Chandon. Um, they just can't call it Moet because of the, the branding, but that's a very nice bubbles. Um, a French Cremant is also very nice. 
uh, obviously, you know, lots of lovely brands of champagne. And then I think to suit the garden vibe as well, um, you can't go far past an apple, elderflower and gin cocktail. Gin has proved very popular mm. at the moment mm-hmm. in, these, in these discussions. Gin seems to be the favoured drink, yeah. uh, which is nothing wrong last, with that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sitting in my small garden okay. here with no other people, it, there was definitely some gin consumed. Yeah. So it's, a, it's quite a leap from, um, I suppose, wanting to sing to then actually having your own opera company in terms of rogue opera. So um, were you entrepreneurial in your youth? Did, did, you, did you have entrepreneurial spirit within your family? Did you have sort of, uh, I suppose, um, mentors or examples that you look to? Um, I guess not directly from my family. Most of my family were quite academic. Um, so my dad's a professor, my mum's a headmistress at a school, um, my grandfather was a professor of chemistry, um, some musicians, etc. But I guess uh, amongst a common theme in the family was, was about knowledge, thirst for knowledge and, and also being organised. So I think those are the, the sort of underpinnings perhaps of an entrepreneur. Um, I do recall as a child um, having schemes with my friends, the neighbours, where we'd make all kinds of craft things and try and flog them around the neighbourhood, which was quite safe to do when I was growing up in Australia. Uh, but I think more of an influence in my childhood was was always wanting, you know, if I came across a new piece of knowledge, a new piece of uh, you know, skill that I'd really wanted to know how to do it for myself. I love, and as I came into my working life, I, I was very interested in kind of reverse engineering systems and, and getting to know. And if someone asked, you know, can you do this? And I didn't know how to, I'd always want to find out how to do it. I, I never felt comfortable with saying, oh, no, I don't know someone else. That's someone else's job. And I think that comes from my upbringing. And I think that's probably one of the things that helps be successful as a small business owner or an entrepreneur that, you know, you do have to wear a lot of hats at the beginning of your journey. And so, you know, at least being interested in knowing how to figure things out, whether you you become the expert at them or not is, is one of those important factors for success, I think. Uh, and so, yeah, I guess that um, in a way is what led me to set up Rogue Opera in that I sort of was busking away on the underground refinding my love of performance and singing um and it was a while it was a number of years of of before i sort of really wanted to, to see whether that could become a profession let alone my own company because there is very much the question of something you enjoy doing as a as a hobby or as a as a pastime is that something you'd really enjoy doing or be successful doing as a as a business so that was a, a process of a couple of years uh, but once I'd sort of taken the plunge and I went part-time at my marketing job and then eventually left that completely and did some retraining uh, and was building up, rebuilding up my skill set as a, as a singer and a performer, uh, I guess I started looking around and, and was looking at other companies and looking at other opportunities and, and seeing and asking myself the question, what are people doing? How do you do that? How could I do it better, I guess, was the question I came to without being negative about anyone else out there. I think that was just part of the way I've always been of I can see someone doing something and then rather than than wait for it to be explained to me, I'd rather plunge and, and try it myself. And I guess that plunging in and trying myself uh, is what led me to set up Rogue Opera because I thought, you know, I can see an opportunity of, of setting up a company where, where I can create some amazing events. Uh, I can also draw on my corporate and marketing background to to promote and sell and manage those events perhaps in a different way than I could see people from a strictly arts background doing and 
yeah, and I guess you also just sort of take the plunge and just think, well, you know, why not try? Yeah, and you seem to, I mean, you seem to through through our discussions before and equally, you know, from website and LinkedIn, wherever else, um, you seem to have a very clear purpose, which is, is bringing opera to a new audience. Is that right? That's correct. Yes. So, you know, I'm obviously very passionate about it. So I think it's an amazing art form, but I'm aware it has a number of um, limits for other people to enjoy that. And one of that is obviously perception that people think it's an elitist thing. People think you need a certain amount of knowledge perhaps to enjoy it, or they just haven't been exposed to it. You know, I was very unusual in my own childhood growing up in a household that only listened to classical music. And, uh, you know, if I hadn't had that upbringing, I'm, perhaps I wouldn't have this this burning love and, and desire to share up with everyone, but I do. And, and so, uh, you know, I firmly believe that the characters and the story and the music all together create an art form that really brings a lot of joy and pleasure and also a, a lens through which you can experience and process a lot of big issues and that's what the world needs more and more I think as we go to go on and so yes I am absolutely very passionate about bringing opera to new audiences and to, to let people who've not had an opportunity to experience it in any form or perhaps in a form where they thought well I have to dress up I have to pay 150 pounds for a ticket I have to you know go into central London to an opera house I have to do all these things before I can even access the music or the story um, I want to remove some of those steps and bring opera out to people and, and just say look here's this really crazy high drama story with some amazing acting amazing emotion amazing music um i i'd love to present that to you and i challenge you not to enjoy at least a moment of it brilliant oh brilliant it sounds about it sounds amazing uh, I, I shall have to take part which i think i may have the opportunity to mm -hmm. do uh, <laughs> and um you, um, I know, uh, is, it, is it Guy who's your music director, is that That's right? That's right, Guy yeah, Megatroid, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And where did you meet Guy? So I met Guy, um, it was one of these happenstance meetings, I guess. I was doing a concert, so this was still when I was, um, I think I'd just left my full-time job and I was doing some retraining and I was starting to put on some concerts just myself, just to, to sort of give myself some performance experience other than busking on the London Underground, which I have to say is great performance experience because when you have an audience that haven't paid to be there, you know, it's it's a challenge to keep their attention, as we discussed. Uh, so, yeah, so I'd, I'd put together a program and there was a, a church in central London which was quite close to my old office, so it was sort of taking the plunge of telling everyone who I used to work with of, you know, come and hear me do this new thing that you don't know me for. Uh, and I was looking for an accompanist, a pianist to work with. And I think the first two people who I had already worked with and knew weren't available. And so, so one person recommended another and then recommended another. And that's how Go and I um, met, which was, was great. Uh, and then we have worked together a lot since then. And when I set up Rogue Opera and uh, we did our first production, um, he, he came on board, I think, for the revival. I don't think he was there for the very first production because um, of commitments. But then since then, he's been involved uh, with everything else, including our pivot, which um, now consumes a lot of our time each week where we do a, a weekly live stream show uh, from my Rogue Opera studio, which is uh, used to be the dining room here, but is now a studio where we can live stream from. Uh, and, yeah, and he's, fan he's a fantastic pianist in his own right, but he's, you know, also incredibly knowledgeable about music. And unlike myself, I didn't go to university. I didn't study music and opera. I'm, I guess I'm a bit of a self-taught, um, you know, in that sense, you know, he's, he's kind of the opposite. His whole life has been about, 
about studying and learning and, and playing music. Um, so it's great to have someone with that amount of knowledge to back up my instinctual ideas of, uh, of what I think makes a good show. And, and luckily, we very often agree. We very rarely disagree. Oh, that's good. That's good. Well, uh, as you as you say, your, your your dining room is now a studio, so we'll we'll neatly lead on to the dining aspect of your event. Oh yes. Uh, so, uh, um, and I know you were saying earlier, it's making you hungry. Your mm -hmm. menu, so I look forward to hearing it. Your meal of choice. Well, yes. What are your guests going to be served? Um, so it might be slightly impractical for the walled garden setup, but you know those are the details we'd we'd spend a lot of time as event planners um, ironing out because it's more of a sit down meal for the first two parts, whereas the garden perhaps you're wandering around a little more. But anyway, what I would love to consume uh, in the walled garden party would be an entree of um, a fig and goat's cheese salad with some spinach and spinach and balsamic vinaigrette, um, possibly some nice walnuts or almonds in there to offset the goat's cheese uh, and then a salmon and scallop main with some ginger beans some quail eggs um, with a touch of ginger and chili garnish and then for dessert i think that's when we can allow people to wander around the gardens again and we just have assorted chocolates being served perhaps by you know actors in fawn costumes or something i'll let the idea <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Uh, carry it, which actually leads into my entertainment idea. So um, I don't know if you want that yet, but <laughs> <laughs> uh, we can go into that very shortly. So, uh, so fig and goat's cheese, as you say, walnuts and and, um, and salad to go with it, and then a salmon, salmon and scallop, um, and then assorted chocolates mm. afterwards. Obviously, nice. non-fish options available for those people who don't like fish, but yeah. No, we've had a, we've had a lot of fish meals actually. Mm. <laughs> um, no, it 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 sounds delicious. We have lots of creative caterers as well, so mm. uh, we we we'll be able to serve it. In terms of your concern as to whether you can do it in a walled garden, it can definitely happen. Okay, in a garden, great. Sure, yeah. I mean, I love working with caterers that can you know take a, a sort of I guess fairly traditional menu like menu like that and then serve it in very innovative ways where you can you know you, you can have it as a mobile um, almost finger food style as well uh, it's, it's one of the great skills of caterers isn't it yeah and you you mentioned your entertainment there so let's go on to that so your, your entertainment of choice at the event yes so um again i'm i'm like the drink i'm sort of um stealing more than one uh what i would love to have uh is a multi-genre uh kind of promenade performance um, again on that Midsummer Night's Dream style so a pastiche of actors, singers, dancers, acrobats, musicians uh, it's where the fauns might come in and uh, sort of taking perhaps the best bits from Shakespeare from some opera uh, and presenting it in a way that the guests are kind of led through the different parts of this amazing walled garden in little scenes so that the entertainment happens in in isolated, um, what's the word? Uh, yeah, little performance pastiches throughout the evening. Uh, so the wall garden in particular has a wonderful green theatre, which is is a sort of hedged off area with a, a stage, and it's all green and all covered in grass and inbuilt floodlights. So that would be sort of a main performance space. But I'm, I love immersive performance. So you know, having people wander around the garden and sort of stumble on another little scene uh, somewhere off away from that main main bit uh, is yeah, I love that kind of immersive event. Mm, yeah. And, and, and when you do it in a sort of secret cinema way, i.e. The, uh, the, 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 the guests will be part of the performance as well. 
Yes, exactly. So, you know, perhaps the people serving you your chocolates might actually also be some of the actors or singers or musicians that they, you know, engage you into the, try and draw you into the the performance. Um, and I know English people sometimes don't like that at all, uh, but I love it. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, I Reserved like English people. Yeah, I always like to challenge guests uh, in that way. Um, if, you know, if you'd like to participate, then please do. I'm always a participator, obviously being a performer and an extrovert. So, <laughs> Uh, I, I have a feeling that uh, when uh, when we do come out of this pandemic, people will be very happy to get involved mm. with anything. <laughs> I think so, yeah. <laughs> it's going to be a, a change in mentality, mm-hmm. definitely. And uh, in terms of this, so, so uh, I believe Rogue Opera was founded in 2017, is mm-hmm. that right? That's right. Yeah. So you've obviously been doing it for, for four years. Mm-hmm. Obviously, we have a pandemic year, which makes it... <laughs> um, did, I mean... Did things go as you had hoped when you first started? And um, I know you mentioned the event in 2019, and I'm mm. guessing that's the one you did for, was it Fuller's? That's correct, yes. Yeah. 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 Yes, so um, 2017 we launched, I guess, in November, so that wasn't really a full year, but it was definitely, you know, a sort of... Uh, the planning and incorporation and, and getting ready took up at least half of 2017, and then we incorporated sort of in November. Uh, and... I guess looking back, you know, it's always interesting to look back and, and try and look back at things objectively rather than subjectively. Uh, it seems like it grew as I expected, but I'm sure back in 2017 I didn't really have a have an idea. And actually one of the things that did change uh, a little bit um, significantly was uh, the idea of being able to adapt. Uh, I always knew I wanted to be able to adapt events, so my... my core concept was that we would create full-length operas that we could bring out to people so that we would um, give people this opportunity, as I said, to, to have the experience of the characters, stories and music without having to go to a full opera house. And that meant creating compact uh, performances that involved six to eight singers, pianists, perhaps a couple of instruments, um, and designing the sets and the costumes and the props, etc., so that they could be very flexible. So I always had that idea of flexibility. Uh, but I was very wedded to the idea that um, in my urge to share the joy of opera with people, that I'd really want them to watch the full opera. Um, and I'm still passionate about that. But actually, as events evolved over the last uh, few years, what I, what were really, in a way, almost more fun for me and definitely very, very rewarding for the guests was when I was able to take um, sections of, of an opera or the big hitters of the tunes and create a completely new bespoke event in response to a very specific setting or a client's brief uh, and actually that's the best of both worlds so you know of course eventually I'd love those people to come and see our full production of Carmen but if I'm also able to bring some of what we've designed for our full production of Carmen and bring those characters and the sets and the scenery and the, and you know a 20 minute scene into someone else's event then you know I think I, yeah, I was, I was actually almost um, evangelical about it at, in 2017. You know, people must watch a full opera, whereas now I'm like any kind of, <laughs> <laughs> any yeah. kind of introduction that I can offer people and, and also actually being true to the event requirements is actually a much more interesting thing to do. Yeah. And, and that's definitely yeah. something that I think is um, that Rogue Opera does offer uniquely because, you know, it's, for, it's a lot of effort to create a full production. And so, you know, you are very wedded to that and it's not a small effort to change something and to make it bespoke, but it's very rewarding when you, when you work with the right client, you do that and you, you're able to, to, to make it something, you know, create something new each time, essentially. Yeah. 
Yeah, and 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 being from an Australian background and, and English, I I can probably use a cricket analogy, and it means something to you. So I suppose it's a, it's a, it's a bit like people watching T20s and then getting into Test matches because of it. And I guess that by doing this, hopefully, you do open to to a new audience who will then go and yes see the full performance. Yes, exactly. Yeah, that's an excellent analogy. Oh, I'm going to start using that myself <laughs> for people who are into <laughs> cricket. Um, and you know, and yeah, and it's it's a great testament, I guess, to all the performers that I work with that they're willing to go on that journey as well because it is you know you create one set of of sort of productions and etc and then to have the people who are ready on call to be able to adapt that um i'm very privileged to work with with so many you know people who who are willing to do that and able to do that um which is one of the reasons we've been able to keep growing and doing those kind of things over over the last few years um 2020 accepted yeah 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 and uh, i mean um Coming on to, to 2020, as you mentioned it, uh, obviously it's a, it's been a, or it, it, yeah, it's been, it's gone. Mm. Uh, it was a difficult <laughs> year for uh, for many of us, and in fact, I suppose we're, the year is really going to be from the, the full year, isn't it? It's going to be from March 2020 mm-hmm. to March 2021, mm-hmm. realistically, yeah. in terms of the year. Um, but you've obviously have had to adapt to it. Um, how have you found that? Um, mm. And I suppose what's been your what what's been your drive to do so and and how have you done it uh so the drive to do so i guess uh like like so many of us in march 2020 where bookings just started um disappearing and and you know i think initially people were postponing but very quickly people weren't even postponing uh, so there was just a big void to fill, and um, I know my, I'm not very good in a void. <laughs> I'm not I'm not good at doing nothing. So I guess the desire initially just came to to be doing something, to be staying present, but also to be able to try and give some kind of um, paid work, and also just a focus to the people I work with. So um, still up until now, and 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 currently, you know, everything I work on is project based. So we work with freelancers. So we didn't, you know, we didn't have anything we could. We didn't have anyone we could furlough. Um, so as a company and as a business owner, you know, I, feel, I felt very responsible for this, the team of people that I normally work with, but I wasn't able to offer them anything in terms of the government support. And, and particularly early on, um, there was a huge amount of uncertainty around what the self-employed um, support was going to be. So it really just came as, a, you know, if we can just do something, if we can be presenting something out to the public via live streaming then at least we're keeping the brand there we can start to ask initially asking for donations then starting to find ways to to create events that we could charge people for or create the membership platform which is what i ended up launching uh and you know certainly i had to listen to a very interesting interview with um the owner of the courthouse theater who i think is uh, richard heinter may have got that wrong so you might need to cut that um but you know he said about the 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 courthouse sorry it's the courthouse theater in Southwark that um you know they kept going and they kept doing a number of things and those things were no means um by no means profitable or even breaking even but it was more important for them just to be doing something to have a focus and to, to stay present and you know when I heard that I thought yes that's that's great it's essentially what I've I've been able to do uh and in a way, it's it's a silver lining because it's developed a whole new uh, medium that, you know, I'd always had in the back of mind, it would be great to be doing things more digitally, it would be great just to be recording more of our bespoke performances, it would be great to be able to have more um, evidence, I guess, of, of what we can do creatively. 
and it was always a sort of back of the list priority because of time and, and budget. And now it's become front of the list, so I've learned a lot of production skills that, um, you know, if I have to, I can do myself. Would much rather be in a position where I can pay a production company to do. But one of the wonders of the internet and the digital revolution is there is so much that individuals, small companies, um, you know, you can do on your own to a very high quality. Uh, and that is a, a starting point, I guess, for something which I hope will continue to grow in the, the future, um, to have a really good digital channel as a way to reach new audiences and bring new audiences into opera. Um, and so looking back now in the last 10 months, you know, that's what we've managed to do is, is create a platform, which is we call the Robot Opera VIP Pass. And it's, again, that gateway for people. Um, it's even smaller than the T20 analogy. It's like a <laughs> <laughs> highlights of T20, I guess, if you're going yeah, to yeah. continue the analogy, uh, because obviously we can't do a full show. We can't have lots of costumes and, you know, we're actually limited to the number of people we can physically have performing together. But what we can do is give people that insight into uh, what I always see as the core is the really interesting characters, the stories, the music. Uh, and so we present a kind of curated experience for people um, to give them that that taste of opera that, you know, once we're, we're able to do other things, they'll be hopefully be interested in going to see something in person or, or commission of an event, an event even. <laughs> yeah, no, sure. And I'm sure... It's also been a great focus, as you say, for your for your freelancers. Mm. It's obviously been extremely hard for, for freelancers, as you say, let their own little support and their own little idea of when this will all end. Have your team been coping okay? Uh, yeah, they're some some better than others, I have to say, you know, and that's across I guess thirty or so people. Um, so it's, you know, natural everyone and everyone, you know, even I've seen myself, you know, people go into different different phases of when you're coping well and when you're not coping well. And I think um, we saw, I saw at the beginning of lockdown, the first lockdown, because I just, I had something to throw myself into, you know, that kept me very motivated and coping. And then I sort of had my big dip about four months in, uh, whereas a lot of my freelancers, because, you know, even though I was trying to get them involved, we were doing reconnects on Zoom and, and just doing, you know, doing things to sort of keep each other connected each week. Uh, and it was a space for people to be able to share how much they weren't coping and uh you know which was all really great and helpful and i just i distinctly remember that my period of not coping came about four months in compared to some people at the, at the beginning uh and you know i think lots so many people have adapted you know freelancers have adapted lots of other companies have adapted um but you know the adapting process is is very tiring and very resource um intense so i think while we're all adapt have adapted and and generally everyone's done okay um you know it's also time really <laughs> to start planning for the future in a way Absolutely. that we're more used to um yeah. so let's hope that happens sooner rather than later yeah no definitely and it's uh, uh we had a we've been doing a conference for our internal team to keep everybody engaged and we had a, a very nice an external speaker a guy called bill laurie from a company called ascend we do sort of coaching and stuff and we're talking to the team, and we have, we all have had to to adapt. And it's basically when when we when we come out of it, it's not about bouncing back; it's about bouncing forward. Mm. So I, you know, it's not going to go back to where we are. But you've obviously learned so many skills, and we're able to adapt and then and bounce mm. forward actually into being a hopefully in a better position mm. to regrow our our companies and our mm. our offering. So um, and to keeping people and the team engaged is is hugely important yes. to that. Uh, now, keeping your guests engaged, mm -hmm. you've obviously um, you've got your 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 
your um, roaming promenade performance yes. uh, and, and actually getting your English guests to get involved, which yes. is going to be fun. Mm-hmm. Um, would you have a celebrity at your party? I would love to have Sir David Attenborough there. Um, oh, okay. Just, just because, you know, I think he's a fantastic man and uh, I've seen him talk on a number of occasions uh, and I think he'd just, you know, he'd be a, a fantastic um party guest i'm also very passionate about the environment so you know i think it would be it would be nice although it would probably be a bit of an imposition on him but <laughs> um <laughs> if he enjoyed garden parties sure would, and would like a you know a nice cane chair to sit in and have people come and ask him questions about his fascinating life you know that would be a highlight definitely i'm sure he would love it i'm sure he would love it mm. Uh, and I'm sure he'd be a great guest, as you say, uh, but he would get a lot of questions. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, that's why I think it might be a bit of an imposition, not so much of a party for him. Uh, yeah. Uh, and uh, and obviously you mentioned Sir David Attenborough is obviously a, an inspiration to you outside of your work, but who's who's been uh, the biggest inspiration to you in, in what you do? Um, so many great, uh, you know, I sort of feel a bit, uh, what am I saying? Contradictory, you, you know. I said, okay. Yes, oh, good. Um, <laughs> I think the immersive event idea is something that, uh, you know, I've seen done so well by a number of great companies. So I think the two that I've really been inspired by my time in England are Punch Drunk and Shunt. Uh, so they're similar to the Secret Cinema style, but they, um, you know, I think they predated Secret Cinema. And Shunt in particular I saw, I think when I very first arrived in, in England, so 2002, um, they started, it was a group of 10 artists and uh, they just took over the um, disused railway tunnels under London Bridge Station and you'd enter through a secret door, or well, not quite secret, but it's one you walk past all the time on the way to the tube and then, you know, you go in there and, and you go under this long tunnel and, again, they just transform this, this whole uh, system of tunnels into a fantastical world and... Uh, the thing I love, um, audience involvement in the in the story. So uh, I think, you know, that kind of transformative site-specific uh, ability to, to bring people into a world is something that I've always been very inspired by. Uh, and then I guess in the more operatic world, um, Opera North and Opera Holland Park, I think, are two of the opera companies of that sort of medium size who, who do really great work and they do a lot of touring productions. Um, opera Holland Park have obviously got their their um permanent base in holland park they're you know their outdoor theater but you know they commission really great work they you know they're always thinking of ways to do things differently um and then opera north as well do great touring productions and i'm pretty sure it was opera north during the first pandemic uh you know a lot of their shows were obviously cancelled so they got a, a transport truck um where they kept the side front the long side down all the singers and the orchestra was sort of up on the truck um, and wow. they just drove up and, you know, that was the stage. They could just drive around yeah, yeah. creating a stage for people and, again, bringing opera out to new audiences, um, removing all those barriers of having go to, to go to a venue and, you know, behave in a certain way. So they're definitely an inspiration. Oh, fantastic. I have been to Opera Holland Park. Mm. It, was, it was on a date many, 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 many years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, yeah, it was successful, though, I mm-hmm. say. So, oh, yes, I would, recomm- I would recommend it. Recommend Good. <laughs> <laughs> successful and, uh, in that's now your wife or um i think so i think so uh, we'll say yes we'll yeah, say yes yeah we? <laughs> oh, yeah yes yes it was with my wife absolutely 
yeah, it, it was, yeah, it was, uh, yeah, 20 plus years ago. Mm-hmm. So please excuse my, my memory. I've, I've been married for 18 years. So yeah, been dating for 21 years. So it may well have been my mm-hmm. wife. Let's go with that. Yeah. Yeah. Or I may just edit this bit out. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, great stuff. And um, yeah, your best memories from working in the industry we put, so in terms of events or doing events? Mm, yeah. So I was, I was thinking about this. I mean, one of the best was the Fuller's one, which I think we've talked about previously, but not talked on here. So just very briefly, that was at Wormsley Estate um, and Fuller's uh, were having a two-day conference for all their pub managers and, and chefs. And they engaged Rogue Opera to do um, each morning and evening a conference opener and closer. And that's where we brought in some of the big hit opera tunes that people would recognise and built a whole stage show around it on the theme of The Greatest Showman. So we had acrobats and um, flamenco dancers and all that kind of thing. Uh, but actually the, the thing that was amazing really about that, other than the show and performing uh, there, was we took 700 delegates over two days through a workshop where we got them to sound and move and also got them to sing an opera chorus. And wow. it was just amazing because I'd announced, you know, there were groups of about 40 or 50 people per workshop we only had 40 minutes and I'd say you know you've seen us do the show opener and by the end of this session you're also going to be opera singers and everyone would be oh no we can't possibly uh and then by the end of the 40 minutes we would have pretty much everybody singing this special arrangement that we'd done of um a chorus from Puccini's Madame Butterfly uh which is called the humming chorus but we changed it to the da da do chorus because it's easier to do than hum if you're not a singer (laughs) Uh, and then at the end, uh, we had, you know, the I had the absolute, like, incredible experience of leading these 700 people in a full rendition of that chorus. And, you know, I still get goosebumps just, just recalling that, you know, that was definitely a highlight sure. to be able to have, have transformed that many people who thought, oh, opera's not for me or I've never heard of opera into using their voices and coming together in this this unified um, combined activity of singing together, which is, you know, which is just magical. So that's definitely one of the standouts. But also really just anything to do with people, you know, where you get to rehearse with real people, where you get to be in an audience, uh, in a room with a real audience. I think, you know, when I started thinking about the memories, just every single occasion I've uh, had that I haven't been out to have over the last 10 months, you know, is a precious memory now. So, <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I'm sure there'll be plenty, plenty more precious mm. memories to come, but it's fantastic. Mm. 700 people doing the da-da-do chorus. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Puccini. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant stuff. Uh, and what's, uh, in terms of running your business, um, what have you been, would you say, have you been your greatest learnings over the years? Oh, <clears throat> what's been the greatest learning? Um, you can never have too many checklists. <laughs> has been one of them. I think I, I went from being what I thought was a reasonably organised person to realising how much more organised I needed to be if I wanted to be the sort of idea generator, the director and a performer. So, you know, trying to juggle all of that, you know, I still do perform myself, but particularly on bigger projects, you know, I've, I've had to realise that if I'm going to keep doing that, I need lots of checklists or ideally farm out some of those jobs to other people. Yeah, delegate well. Delegate well, exactly, yes. Yeah. It's hard to do though. <laughs> yeah, it's hard, but it's, it's important. 
mm. delegate, trust people. Mm-hmm. You have to trust people, give them the, the, the responsibility yes. to do it well for you. Yeah. Obviously the right people, but you mm. have to trust people. Mm. Uh, and uh, going back to your party, um, I'm interested to know what your first dance track is going to be. Mm. If it's going to be dancing. Oh, yes, there's always got to be dancing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I'm actually going to pick the, the dance um, track we use for our wedding. Um, and uh, we started off with Florence and the Machines version of You've Got the Love. And then it morphed into uh, the Candy Station and the Source version of You've Got the Love. So we did a slow dance and then went into the kind of more, you know, party dance style. So perhaps for this party, we just go straight to the candy station uh, version to get everyone moving uh, and dancing under the stars. Yeah. Although, you know, if, if you've got your reticent English, maybe it's good you give them a slow, a slow, true, a slow true. build up yeah. to, to candy a, station. A little, yeah. a little sway to start with, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Although if they've had enough of you gin cocktails and your mm-hmm. fizz, then they'll be, they'll be a good, they'll all be in good shape. And um, so you've, you've, you've had a dance, everyone's had a great evening, and it comes to, the, sadly, the end, mm-hmm. um, the, the big departure. Mm-hmm. Uh, you are on a beautiful Wormsley estate in the Walled Garden. Mm-hmm. Uh, is there going to be a big departure? I'm guessing there might be fireworks or something along those lines. or no? Got it in one, yes. I yeah. do love fireworks. Um, I believe there are some more eco-friendly fireworks available so especially if sir david attenborough was a guest then i would try and ensure that we had eco-friendly fireworks um i know it is a working estate and they've got quite a lot of sort of animals and and pheasants so they i'm not sure if they actually allow fireworks so uh, as an alternative some kind of eco-friendly uh you know fire balloon that goes off into this into the sky uh but really fireworks are you know i think is 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 definitely a good exit uh, kind of dramatic end of party signifier and would you, would you have an opera tune accompanying the fireworks oh interesting so i saw a production uh, of carmen which was our first production uh, as an opera um so it's, it's one of my favorite operas um it's one you know we'll continue to do for many years and i uh, i went home to, uh, for a visit to australia a few years ago and we saw a production of carmen on sydney harbour uh, so my my production of Carmen is compact. It's got six singers, a dancer, and a pianist. And the one on Sydney Harbour was like the other end of the scale. And they do these annual productions in the Botanic Gardens with a stage which floats on the harbour. And uh, one of the main sponsors for that uh, annual event is um, a Japanese, Japanese or Chinese? I think it must be Chinese um, car company. And the Chinese love fireworks even more than I do. And so. Uh, about halfway through Carmen, there's very famous famous Toreador's aria, which is also the theme tune for Formula One. Da, 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 and the Toreador is a bullfighter, so it's a big scene. It's already got a big chorus. You've got this incredibly well-known tune. In this production, they had uh, the Toreador arrived by a kind of classic car, open-topped, you know, Silver Ghost Bentley, pulled up. Uh, got on stage, started singing his aria. In the middle of the aria, they let off some fireworks. <laughs> <laughs> to just highlight it even more <laughs> and then he finished the aria so um i guess if anything i'd probably steal that idea from them because it's just so over the top to have you know fireworks plus a, a really big you know big big yeah. hitter aria so yeah that's a that's that's a good one i think brilliant nothing wrong with recycling ideas yes <laughs> and um future planning at the moment for yourself Are you, um, uh, so I think uh, 
the weekly show that we do um, has taken up a huge amount of short-term planning, um, even though we plan that a couple of months in advance. You know, there always seems to be extra stuff to do each week. Um, but I took some time uh, at the beginning of January to really take a step back from that and to lift my head above the COVID parapet, as it were, and and really start to, to think, um, go back to my business plan, which had kind of just gone on hold. And uh, two of the areas that I'm interested in developing are Dubai and Singapore as places Amazing. to be able to take our productions out to or to take the bespoke corporate or private event um, ideas uh, to those two markets. Uh, so I've started making some um, meetings and, and started discussions with people about that. And then I also have a very exciting uh, plan production, which I've started talking about people here in the UK. Um, there's a series of operas by Italian composer called Donizetti. Uh, and he wrote lots and lots of operas, but he wrote five operas around the Tudors, the, the English royalty. Um, so there's one about Mary, Queen of Scots. There's another one about um, Anne Boleyn, one about Robert Devereux. And uh, what Guy and I, my music director, are going to do is develop a kind of uh, pastiche of those who will take all the best characters, all the best scenes, the best music, and put them together into a event or series of events. And uh, my ideal uh, vehicle for that would be to go to places around the UK where uh, there are historical links to those tutors and do site-specific immersive events using some or all of what we've we've designed from those operas. Uh, so that's possibly a 2022 plan now. Um, but, Hampton uh, Court Palace. Hampton Court Palace, yes, definitely. Uh, it's, been, it's been someone up in Scotland to see if there's uh, appetite for anything to do with Mary Queen of Scots, although whether she's a, you know, a positive or a negative <laughs> character up there, <laughs> I'm not sure. But, yeah, you know, there's there'd be lots of... Um, you know, it's well-known stately homes, but probably also some other more obscure ones where perhaps, you know, there was a visit or there's a connection with history. So I think that would be a really exciting uh, tour of site-specific events that we could develop and, and offer to people. Well, amazing. Well, we get it, we get involved with the ice rink at the Hampton Court. So okay. Could you, could you do opera on ice? Ooh. <laughs> ah, you see. Yes. Now, we, now I'm could, challenging it. You, yeah, you would. You'd have to... Um, I'm just yeah. You'd have to have people confident enough as skaters to, skaters <laughs> to do and that. Singer. Skaters and singers. Um, I mean, in theory, yes. But uh, I'm just thinking of my own skating ability. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so it's a limited pool of talent. It's probably think? yeah. The, the Venn diagram yeah. of expert skaters and opera singers. Um, yeah. I would imagine is not not very large. But you never never say never. You know. I think that's never say never. Yeah. Always Absolutely. good to get ideas to spark. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, um, one gift to all your guests as they go. Mm. Do you have a gift for them? Yes, I would um, bring it back to the environmental uh, message, which was subtext under all the gin at the party. Um, <laughs> and I would give them um, some of those wildflower seeds that they could take away and plant. Uh, because even if you live in a small flat in the middle of a city, you can still find somewhere to put a, a pot of flowers and, and uh, you know, help the bees. So uh, I think that's a great gift that, you know, has become quite popular now at a lot of events. I think that kind of green giving. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, definitely. And I think even more so as we as we go into this year, mm. once live events start happening, that, that that it will be very much sustainability is a, is a mm. huge thing. 
I'm sure also you may be giving them a, a VIP pass to, to Rogue Opera as yes, well. Yes, that's right. Yeah, to keep uh, keep enticing them back into the world of opera <laughs> and increase their, their enjoyment from the highlights to the T20 to the five-day test match. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. Well, thank you very much, Bronwyn. It's been a pleasure talking to you. Um, the event in Wormsley Estate uh, in, a while, in a walled garden sounds amazing. Um, Obviously, we have a string quartet greeting people, playing Vivaldi Four Seasons and others. Uh, drinks, you have your, your gin, uh, elderflower and apple, was it, I mm -hmm. think, in terms of cocktails going on as well. Uh, then we have some wonderful food, fig and goat cheese, walnut salad to start with. And we have salmon and scallops as a main course. And then assorted chocolates being served by actors and singers, I'm sure, as well. Promenade performance. Um, and a mythical twist on the whole thing, Lord of the Rings type feel. Um, uh, and uh, you also have uh, your, your string quartet going to be playing with Chemical Brothers and Daft Punk tunes mm -hmm. as well, which is going to be kind of fun in terms of it. Um, and then obviously dancing to uh, Candy Station, Florence and Machine. You've got the love? Yes. Yeah. 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 Excellent. Uh, and then big fireworks, obviously environmentally friendly fireworks. Uh, to end and some wild seeds and uh, and free VIP pass to, to Rogue Opera. <laughs> I, I put that in, sorry. <laughs> I think it's a great uh, idea, yes. Your, I should have guest. thought of that first. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's great. Thank you, Bronwyn. It's, uh, it's a pleasure and uh, um, I'm sure we'll see Rogue Opera, as you say, um, taking opera to new and fun places, uh, Middle East, and also to, to new audiences around the world. Mm. Great. Thank you, Philip. It's been a real pleasure uh, sharing these wonderful party ideas and, and chatting about uh, all things events. <laughs>